GPS, Jay LaRock, and I'm here with Kevin Mentz. And, you know, one of the things I, I realized that I'm definitely not one of those, um, you know, super professional interviewers because I just realized I, I don't actually have the proper pronunciation for the company. And, you know, I was going to do one of those things where I was going to sit there for a long time trying to get the proper you know, pronunciation, but I, I want to do this on, on ear, on recording, because I need to get this correct, you know, I want it, so I'm going to ask you on the recording, instead of doing it before, normally that's what I would do, so could you just tell me so I could learn and everyone can see this, how exactly do I pronounce the name, so that I could, I could learn it, and, and I know a lot of people that are watching this don't know how to pronounce it either, so, you know, tell me, how do I pronounce the name correctly? It's the Delic Entertainment. The Delic. Okay. See, because yeah. I was gonna, I would probably go with the A too, too much, and I think that that's where I would. Delic or something. Yeah, like that. Oh, and okay. maybe that's a, an American thing because you know, just for people to know, uh, I'm in Miami and we're talking, we're talking to Kevin out there in Hamburg, Germany. So, that's and it's a six-hour difference. It's so. not. It's not only Americans who, who say it differently. We have some people who are here in Germany as well who said like uh, said say things like Dedalich, which <laughs> is a bit of Eastern European style. And um, yeah, Daydelic is very popular. A lot of people say Daydelic. But basically, whatever you're fine with, just say it. People, I think you. I, I still recognize the name, and you can you can say it as you want. But I we, we here call it Dedalic, second A. Now, did the, the, the name? See, that's the thing. Now, with with, if you don't know the language, you know you're not sure if it's it's a, a proper name or did it come from something. So, you know, that's the thing. Especially with a show like this, where we're talking to a lot of different people, and that's what we love about gaming profiles, where we talk to a, a lot of different people in the gaming industry from all over the world, and that's what's awesome. You meet a lot of different people from a lot of different places. So, the the name. Is, does it have a specific meaning? Like, what is the uh, meaning behind the name? Actually, it's a mix between the word Daedalus. I don't know if you're familiar with Greek mythology. He, uh, was, uh, he, was, he, he was the guy who built the wings of Icarus. Um. And he built the, the labyrinth where the Minotaur was, was uh, uh, living inside. So basically, the... the, the the thing behind Daedalus was that uh, um, when, when the, the company was founded, um, it was said that Daedalus was probably the first game designer. He made the first flight simulator with the wings of Icarus, and he built the first level, labyrinth, maze level, which was the, the labyrinth of Minos. And um, so it's not Daedalus alone, but because we're a technical company, we're working with, with software developments, so it's Daedalus plus technic, technical things, so it's Daedalic. So that's where the name comes from. Hey, now that's cool. See, you got Greek mythology, <laughs> you got the level building. So it really goes with with a bunch of things all together. So it really does fitting with gaming. That's awesome. Uh, as as for yourself, um, what what was your gaming background like growing up? Um, what kind of games did you like? And when I was very very young, my brother had a C sixty four. And I started playing on that, but I, I was so young, I hardly remember any games. I think the only game I still remember is what's called Jet Set Willy. I don't know if you ever heard of Jet Set Willy. It's very, very old school, very hard. But then when I grew older, I was a lot into 
as you can imagine, to point-and-click adventure games, graphic adventure games, like the Sierra online games and the oh, Lucas yeah. Arts games. And um, at the same time, I played a lot of Nintendo NES games. And I think my, interestingly, my favorite, one of my favorite NES games was also about Greek mythology. It was called uh, The Battle of Olympus. Oh, I mean, nice. It's a, it's a, hardly anyone knows that game in that it's a Zelda-style action-adventure game where you play Orpheus, who travels through all of um, ancient mythical Greece in order to save um, his, his dead wife from, from the underworld. And um, what I always liked about those games was the, the kind of, of sense of the world you're in. It was always about being in very atmospheric, very interesting places. So most of the games I played, I, I think I, I love the, the games I liked the most were those who had very interesting settings, and um, where where it was just nice to be in these worlds. It wasn't so much about the gameplay or 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 um, well, it's, uh, the, the the story also played a part in it, but mostly um, it was about the traveling to different worlds. And I like this Greek mythology thing, especially Battle of Olympus. What about as far as the Sierra games? Because, I mean, I, I love those games, Space Quest, King's Quest, Police Quest. I mean, was there one of those uh, series overall that you liked the most? Uh, I think the Sierra... I like the King's Quest series, especially the... the, the especially I liked uh, King's Quest Six, which was just... just blew away my mind. It was... It was... It was I think still... It is... Even the, the later games didn't make it that far as King's Quest Six. And um, but the series, the all, all in all, the series I liked the most was the Quest for Glory series. Ah yes. Have you ever played those? They were mixed yeah. between adventure games and role-playing uh, elements, and they were fantastic. I think that's where a lot of people really started to get into that series. Is where you started to get into that R RPG uh, element because you know you you also had that where it was coming out on the consoles too. So when people saw that crossover. You know, people were like, "Oh, I could play this on a computer," but then you also had some of those coming out in, in Nintendo, so people had both sides where you could play those RPG games. But I mean, you kind of had that divide too. Did you ever feel that when you were playing? You know, since you played both the Commodore 64, because you even started to see that uh, people, especially with the Commodore 64, where you had those games. Uh, did you ever feel like torn between the two, or was it like, "Hey, I have two systems where I could play these awesome games," so it was all good. It was all good, but um, as I, <laughs> I like them both. I like I like my my video games. And I like my PC games. So just and I played them multiple times. The ones I played uh, I like the most. I finished I don't know numerous times. And um, but when I grew up, unfortunately, neither of those. I think when I was about ten, twelve-ish or something, I didn't get the next console uh, generation, and my PC was getting older and older. So at one point. Uh, um, I didn't play any games anymore until one day a friend of mine moved to Canada and he had to get rid of his PlayStation. So he gave me his PlayStation 1 and from from then on I was all in video games. I didn't really play PC games that much anymore. It was just Silent Hill, Metal Gear Solid, all those great PlayStation 1 games. And it took a few years until I came back to PC. So in the beginning there was both then it was mostly video games, and now I'm playing both again. So what was it that made made you just say, hey, I wanted to make that leap to, to work you know, in games? Because I think that maybe at some point, if you really play 
a lot of games and you get into it, you know, you think to yourself, wow, it'd be cool to, to work in games. But, I mean, I think it takes something to actually make that next step. So what was it for you? I think I wanted to make games. That's a, that's a cliche to say that, but I always wanted to make games. When I, was, when I played my first uh, Graphic Adventure Sierra games, I always copied the graphics onto pieces of paper, and I made my own little... Uh, uh, graphics for my own little games. So um, when I was a kid, I always wanted to become a, a background artist for uh, old school graphic adventure games. And um, so after a while, um, I started to. Um, I got more and more interested in, in in writing and telling stories. And that was the time when I when I didn't play a lot of games anymore. So I was more interested in film and books. And I always knew I wanted to do something, some, something, um, something creative, where I could uh, tell stories in different kind of mediums and different kind of genres. And um, and when I think I was about twenty or something, I discovered the RPG Maker 2000. I don't know if you're familiar with the RPG Maker. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I started play, uh, uh, fooling around with with that for a bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I made my first games. And while working on my first RPG Maker game, I learned how to use uh, graphic programs. I learned more about writing for games. I did my first animation, pixel animation, and everything. So basically, I learned about all the kind, all the the aspects of game productions on a very small scale. And um, I just enjoyed it. it. Was just it became a passion of mine to just do this and. Then one day I realized that um, Dedelic was looking for interns. Um, and I was a student. I studied media and literature. And, um, and I still needed an, an internship for my, for my university degree. So I went to Dedelic, and then I started making games there professionally. And I'm still here after five years. So, I mean, what was it like? Because I think that's what happens. A lot of people that may have that dream, and they're actually took that next step and they say to themselves, you know, hey, I'm going to actually pursue this. It's, it's not just going to be a hobby. I'm not going to quit. And they pursue that internship. You know, can you tell us about, you know, that, those first, you know, couple of steps, maybe the, the first couple of weeks, first couple of months. You know, what does one expect? I mean, it's going to be different depending on whether uh, they're an artist, a programmer, or something like that. But can you give us maybe... Uh, an idea of you know being an in internship, especially you know with you at the Delic. Um, when I started, um, I, I was very lucky. I was at, I was the, the right person at the right time in the right place. So when I started the Delic, there was a um, a project coming up that was very small and um, well small enough so um, I, that I could. Um, get into that very, very quickly. And I wasn't overwhelmed by huge major productions that was supposed to help them there. And I got the opportunity to write text and to do a bit of game design here. So I got the opportunity to um, continue what I had already learned in my free time, which I think is very important. It's very, very important if you want to get into game development professionally, um, have your own projects. Um, it's easier than ever to to start your own game projects with with, uh, with all the tools and engines you can get online. And um, so at first it was very um, it was a bit strange to do my hobby professionally. 
And I, I, it was, um, it felt kind of um, surreal to actually do this and um, get, uh, have people see your work and, um, and uh, giving you feedback and everything. So, um, yeah, I was very lucky that I wasn't thrown into the whole thing just from one moment to the next that I could gradually grow into, but I, 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 uh, I build up on the experience I had before. So um, I think if, yeah, I think the most important thing, if you want to get into development, um, try during your free time, figure out what you want to do, what you're good at, and what you can deliver, and then how you can build on that. And when you start working professionally, it's not, um, it's not, uh, you, you already feel more comfortable there, but in the end, I think um, you won't get a job if you don't have that much, if you don't have experience beforehand. So it's always a good idea to get experience. Now, one of the cool things that we were talking about right before the, the show was uh, I was watching the video on your YouTube page where it showed when uh, the 50,000 um, uh, YouTube, uh, not YouTube, but Facebook fans, and you were showing. Um, the the studios and the offices and it was pretty cool. Um, what is it like, just you know, the everyday work environment? I mean, it looks fun and um, you know, it's kind of cool to get kind of like that behind the curtain, behind the scenes look at, at a different company. Of course, every every office is is business, so it's it's a professional environment. But you know, it's also a game studio. You're gonna have a lot of people that that are there that are gamers. So. You know, what is like a, a day in the life at the daily? Basically, it's, uh, it's work like everywhere else, I think. I get up, uh, I come here at 9, I start working, and then I work for eight hours. And um, sometimes you have to stay a bit longer to get things uh, done on time. Um, but the atmosphere here is great. Uh, a lot of my colleagues are my friends, so and we, we share a lot. As you said, we're all gamers, or we're all interested in... And in comic books, or the same, or similar movies, and um, and we all we all work together on a project that we believe in it will be interesting. So um, um, that's the thing. If you if you work in a company where you can um, you can mix your your own passions for for your passion for games, for example, with what you do, you end up with a lot of people who have similar passions and ambitions. So. Um, it's it's uh, it's a very very um, how do you say um, it's a, a very fertile ground in a way to work because uh, you're you're connected to your colleagues on, on a lot of different levels and I think that is the great thing if you are uh, working as a developer. One of the things that I'm always curious about, like. Um I was talking to another developer who is out in Hong Kong, and I always curious about perhaps uh, the difference in, you know, gamers, uh, or maybe like if you go to an arcade or you go to uh, a store that sells games, and maybe you interact with gamers. And you know, I I'm sure that you guys have have been out to maybe conventions and you meet different people from from around the world. Have you uh, been able to maybe see a difference in gamers from? let's say uh, maybe the states or from the UK uh, difference from maybe gamers in in Germany like how their play styles or or maybe how they would uh, how they would react to different games or maybe even your games like do you, would you say like maybe point-and-click adventures maybe uh, gamers in Germany are more into that game than maybe gamers are in America like would you say 
overall like the different types of gamers in Germany to maybe the States or the UK or something like that or Asia? Yeah, actually, actually I think point-and-click adventure games in Germany are very big, um, bigger than, than in the US, for example. But I think the reason for that is mostly because in, in Germany or mostly in Europe, we didn't have this kind of arcade uh, hall history that you have in the US. I think people in the US are more used to um, video games in the sense of more, more um, action-oriented and less PC games, where PC games where you have like a lot of um, point-and-click adventure games, for example. So the PC is still uh, a thing here in, in, in Germany. And a lot of people grew up uh, grew up um, in the 80s and 90s with PC games. So they grew up with point-and-click adventure games. And um, so uh, and, and they, they remember how much they like those games. So there's still this nostalgia that uh, the nostalgia is bigger to, towards point-and-click adventure games here in Germany than probably in the US. I think that may be one of the biggest differences. Um, but it, but it, is, it is changing, I think. There is um, 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 video games like console games. Um, uh, um, by now, they're they're big everywhere. So um, and and because of the whole indie gaming scene, PC games are getting more and more attractive and more and more interesting around the world. So um, so it's it's hard to to draw the line now. But in the 80s and 90s, it was a bit different. Yeah, well, and it's cool because. Um... Another reason why I wanted to talk to you guys, especially right now, is that I saw on Steam that uh, you, you, you guys have uh, a lot of games on special, and you guys had a lot of great games, um, especially I think that, like you said, with indie gamers, um, even though you guys are, uh, you know, I guess wouldn't be called an indie company, but you have the type of games that a lot of indie players like, you know, those games that you can really get into. It's not just, you know, the titles that a lot of people nowadays would just say are the games that you just play once through and then you know throw away it's like this type of game that you really can get into and play over and over again which a lot of people are clamoring for um, overall especially with all the titles that's been released since you guys started is there is there a title that you like more than the other ones like what would be your favorite out of out of out of the out of the titles that they have well, that's an unfair question because my answer. Would I know. Be unfair. That's why I asked it. <laughs> Basically, I like the games I worked on myself the best. That's the unfair answer to that question. Okay, how about out of the ones that you worked on? Which one do you like the best? Um, I like the best uh, Memoria. In Aventuria, the greatest heroes of our time fight against the demon master Borbard. Death will now rain down on the troops. Fearlessly, the brave Princess Sadia also joins the battle. A thousand years from now, people will tell tales of my deeds and whisper my name in awe. Either you'll achieve the impossible, or you'll descend into the deepest madness. But lost in the war and forgotten by time, the destiny of the princess remains unsettled. Five centuries later, the birdcatcher Geron strives to disclose the secrets surrounding the young woman. 
Can a single riddle really be that important? Only if he succeeds to solve the enigma, an old spell can be broken. And the love of his life will be freed of her curse. And next, we'll make you a fairy again. Little does he know that the present will soon transform into a dark shadow of times past. The future of this world is in our hands. However it may end, it will change Aventuria forever. Memoria. game that was released last year um, and it's a it's a point and click adventure game and it's it's set in a in a very traditional fantasy setting um, it's a mix between low and high fantasy it is about two storylines um, one is about a princess who wants to go to war to become the greatest uh, heroine of all time and the other storyline takes place 500 years in the uh, uh, in, in the future further away um, and there you you play another character who knows that this this princess was utterly forgotten. No one knows about her, so she probably must have failed. And in the one story you play her story, in the past you play her story trying to uh, get to this war and become a hero, and the, in the other story is more like a, a crime story. We have to figure out what actually happened back there. So it's very, very different stories and a very interesting dynamic. It was a lot to figure out how those two stories could connect, and um, I'm very proud with the with the with, with the result. For a lot of people, for a lot of players, it was like a page-turning um, mystery uh, uh, story where they never really knew what was going on up until the very end, and they just always had to figure out, had to know what was going on. So it's it's a very uh, I'm very proud that I achieved this uh, level of of, of excitement. And um, yeah, so that's the game I'm, uh, I, I worked on that I'm most proud of. Um, what was the first one you worked at on uh, at the Delic? And the first game I worked on, um, the, the very very first game I worked on was a hidden object game. So I, um, I'm not sure if you uh, if you still can get it online, but probably yes. It was called the Tudors. It was a, a game tie-in to the TV series The Tudors, and oh, okay. um, yeah, <laughs> and for the first adventure game I worked on was called A New Beginning. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. In 2010. Yeah, it was 2010, right? Okay. And um, yeah, there are other uh, uh, games I really like that I didn't work on, which was um, The Night of the Rabbit. What if magic truly did exist? If connections existed between myriads of worlds, what if there were beings who could wander between those worlds? What if you could be their apprentice? Those eyes, eyes that have seen countless worlds. Some say he knows no mercy. Ah, permit me to introduce myself. I am the Marquis, the Marquis de Hotel. 
Oh, but, but you're a... You're, you're... Arictogulus cuniculus sapiens. Yes, indeed. This world will be your school, and its inhabitants will teach you many things. And then, once your training is complete, you will see the world with the eyes of a tree walker. But be on your guard. A sinister secret, long forgotten, will soon cast its shadow over the portal worlds. Soon this world will be healed. No more worries about money. About land. About luck. About health. With the first promise, the cold one breaks. An abyss will open. And that, honorable audience, is magic! tale with a, a slightly darkish twist where you play a, a young boy who um, gets to be um, um, he, he, he uh, is, is taught by a giant walking talking rabbit in a, in, a, in a coat how to become a magician and um, it has this kind of fairy tale style feeling and you're in this in this um, this forest with all those talking animals. It's a very charming little game with, uh, this, like, with this small darkish undertones, which is very nice. It has a great atmosphere as well. Uh, I really like that game. And um, yeah, of course, you're probably familiar with the Deponia games. Mm -hmm. They're a comedy sci-fi series of three games, a trilogy. And um, they're a bit like Futurama, slightly, slightly Futurama-esque about a guy who lives on a junkyard planet and he wants to get uh, away from that planet at all costs. And there's just more and more chaos happening going on throughout the game. So it's, it's a lot of, lot of slapstick, a lot of wordplay, and a lot of fun. So um, I think those are the, 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 the biggest titles and the most interesting titles we developed so far. Oh, and I forgot one more, because we didn't only do Pranic Click Adventure games. But I think what we're very proud of is that we also do, uh, we started doing strategy role-playing games, um, like Blackguards, uh, 
Blackguards, and we're currently working on the sequel. Received and it's just astonishing how it has a very small team and what they actually managed to pull off in that game. So um, yeah, actually, there's a lot of reasons why it's nice to work at the Delic. Very interesting projects here. Yeah, and and I see that the the part two is, is set for 2015, the Dark Eye for Black Arts too, and that so that should be cool when that comes out too. And 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 uh, yeah, and 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 the big. I, I keep receiving a lot of uh, news about uh, about Randall's Monday. Can you tell us a little about that? Space. The final frontier. These are the... God, the amazing Matt using his terrible mutant powers in front of everybody. These are the adventures of Randall Hicks. Life always has some nice surprises up its sleeve. Tragic losses, new allies, betrayals. Don't we all sometimes desire to go back and erase some of the mistakes we've made? But what if the guy who's been given that opportunity is a sociopathic kleptomaniac good-for-nothing moron? Wow! Did you kill him? <gasps> yes, yes, just save it. All right, I'm deaf. I wish you a good day, but I'm sure you have already realized that there's nothing good about it. He can't get through one single day. And it's not even Groundhog Day. Wait, what? Are you telling me today's Monday? It's not a holiday. It's just a Monday. 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 You're cursed. May the force be with him. I'm not surprised you opened an interdimensional breach that's going to destroy the whole universe with that attitude. Yeah, that was a good one, huh? Tell me, Randall Hicks, what is the awesomest sci-fi saga ever? Did you just say awesomest? Randall's Monday. I can't believe it. Is that you, Morty? <laughs> so are you going to start paying for your half of the rent someday? <laughs> Damn, that bastard has an answer for everything. And um, yeah, Randall's Monday, we're publishing Randall's Monday. It's made by, uh, by a developer in, um, in Spain. And um, it's a very geeky uh, adventure game where you play this guy called Randall who um, he messes up in the beginning. He just um, 
he he um, his his best friend wants to um, make a, a what's the word? If you want to marry someone and you give them a ring and ask them how you, a proposal. Oh, proposal, yeah. Yeah, his best friend makes a proposal to his girlfriend, and because of Randall, everything goes wrong, and then. It's just a very bizarre game. He gets he gets um, uh, caught in a time loop, like in Groundhog Day, that he has to relive this day over and over again and try to make, get things right. But it just gets worse and worse and worse. So it's a very crazy, very funny uh, adventure game from from the guys in Spain. Very very cool people. Awesome. So I mean, so it's cool. I mean, working on games as well as as publishing them. I mean, overall, do you, when I guess maybe at first, you know, when you when you first work on uh, something and, and it gets released and you see, um, you know, it, it get out there, you know, you have, you might have had jitters. Do you still get that feeling when something, you know, gets released to the public or like when you go to a convention? Like, you know, how is that feeling when you're you're out there? Or like, do you go to conventions and and like, you know, sit around the booth or or, or get, see the reaction of fans? Do you get out there and do that? Uh, yes, whenever I can. Um, and yes, it's always uh, I'm always nervous when that happens because you, you uh, it's it's you never know how people will react to your ideas. So this is very important to just see how people like it, get feedback early on, and um, even when you think everything is fine, you got enough feedback, and every everyone you ask said it's a great game, you're still incredibly nervous when it gets released because. Um, you never know how uh, how people are going to react ultimately to your game, so um, it's it stays exciting. I think I, I cannot imagine I will ever get jaded and just sit back and say, "Oh, another game released. Let's start the next one." I don't care what people say. That would be that would be horrible if I would start to think like that. It's always um, that that's the thing you're working for. That's why you make games. You want people to to enjoy that and enjoy your games. And have a good time, and up to the very moment until you realize that if it really worked or not, you are nervous because um, if you fail to deliver to deliver that, um, um, you failed the, the project failed. So it's always, always, um, always exciting and always good to get to to see the people's faces when they finally like it. Awesome. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, it's true, and, and, and that's the great kind of attitude to have because, you know, I think that there's a lot of people out there who still will just, you know, put anything together, um, you know, just for the act of trying to, to make a buck, and, you know, to, and that's one of the reasons why we want to, to talk to people and, and get, you know, just their their overall feeling about, you know, gaming, because I think that 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 is the idea of like what they put into their work. It's it's just like anything else. You you get um, the idea behind the, uh, the artist. You know, like some people might argue about if games are art or not. I think that they are, especially if you know the the heart behind the artist. And someone that cares about game is going to care about their work. And yes, you're part of a huge team, but still, you know, every person that cares about what they're doing, you're going to see it in their work. So um, hearing that someone grew up about caring about gaming and that they're working for a group of people that care about gaming and they put out products that you know is good and you see a legacy of work that's good, you know you know that you're in good hands. So I want to you know thank you for talking with us today and teaching me how to say the Dalek, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
Yeah. <laughs> you got it. That. So, <laughs> so I mean, at least there's that. So at least I did that. So, Kevin, thanks for coming on and talking with us today, and it's been great. Thanks, thanks to you for for giving me this opportunity. It's always nice to uh, to to have this kind of different interviews. Usually, I always talk about my projects, but I hardly ever talk about the games I used to play. It's uh, it's wonderful to answer these kind of questions once in a while. Hey, well, thanks. That's, yeah, that's that's what we do here, and and we'll be back with uh, another sh uh, show very soon. Uh, but in the meantime, we want to thank uh, all you guys for checking out our show, and remember our mantra. Never stop gaming. We'll be back soon. Never stop gaming. <laughs>